What a great song. Jesus wants to lead us home. And he will if we let him lead us. That's what we want to talk about this morning and tomorrow morning. So it's a two-part series, How to Make Godly Decisions, part one, part two. Um, So I'm looking forward to spending this time with you all. Before we dive in, let's begin our time with prayer. Father, we thank you that you are a good shepherd, that you do want to lead us beside still waters in, into green pastures, into paths of righteousness, right paths for your name's sake, that you'll be with us even in the valley of death. Thank you for these wonderful truths, and we pray that you would Open up our hearts now in this hour to hear what you want to say to us. And you would teach us, teach us how to follow you. Teach us how to stay close to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Life is made up of countless decisions. You're just getting started in the decision-making of life. Big decisions, little decisions. Some decisions are quite insignificant, like what you're going to wear for the day or what flavor ice cream you might choose at the snack shop this afternoon. And other decisions are more momentous, such as where you might go to school or what kind of career you'll pursue or who you might marry. That's a big one, right? Or where you will live. And there's a lot of decisions that are in between, right? They're not insignificant, but they're not massive decisions. They're not life-changing decisions. And so how are we going to navigate this labyrinth called life? You know, how are we going to do it? How are we going to negotiate all the forks in the roads? Because as you walk through life, you're going to come again and again to these forks in the road. How are you going to navigate those? Well, we're going to look at today some foundations some prerequisites to making godly decisions. If you look out that way as you go out the building, they're, they're building our new welcome center. And when you build a building, you begin with a foundation, right? And then once you build a foundation, you can build a structure on top of it. They're uh, doing a pretty good job building the structure. But if you try to build a structure without building the foundation, you'll run into trouble. And so first today, we're going to look at three foundational truths that have to be settled in your heart if you're going to make godly decisions. If you don't have these three settled in your heart, you won't be able to make godly decisions. Tomorrow, Lord willing, we'll come back and we'll look at six steps, six practical but biblical steps that you can take to make godly choices. Okay, So that's where we're going. Now remember that our goal is how to make godly decisions. So our, our goal isn't to make to learn how to make fun decisions or successful decisions or even good decisions, whatever that means, good, in terms of the way the world sees as being good decisions. But we're after godly decisions. What are godly decisions? Godly decisions are decisions that are made to conform with who God is, with God's plan, with God's character. So godly decisions are decisions that recognize who God is, that God is your creator, that God is your master, that God is your savior. Those are godly decisions. 
The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Who likes the book of Proverbs? It's a real practical, down-to-earth, I like the book of Proverbs as well. If you want to learn how to make godly decisions, the book of Proverbs is a great book to soak in and to read. And the book of Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom, right? So if you want to make godly, wise choices in life, you need to fear God. You need to have a reverence for God. You have to have an awe of God. You have to submit to God in obedience to him. But we're going to look at a key passage. We're going to have a key passage for these two days. Okay, It's going to be our theme passage. We'll just try to go back to it again and again. And we'll try to memorize it in these two days. Think we can memorize two verses in two days? That's a verse a day. That's not bad. We can do this, right? And here's our theme passage. It comes from the book of Proverbs. And I want us to say it all together. This is going to be kind of the, the core passage to how to make godly decisions. Ready? So let's say it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Let's say it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Good. Let's notice just a couple of things about these verses. Note that it's all about a relationship. You see that? You trust in the Lord. The Lord is a person, right? It's all about a relationship of trust with the Lord, with God, right? And that's where godly decisions begins. It begins with trusting God. And note, too, that it's trusting God with all your heart. See that? All your heart, your whole being. There's two alls here. It's all your heart and it's All your ways. Isn't that interesting? All your heart, all your ways. The evidence that you are trusting God, that I am trusting God, with all our heart, is what? We're acknowledging Him in all our ways. Does that make sense? So the evidence of all your heart is all your ways. Acknowledging Him in all your ways. And what is the result of trusting Him with all your heart and acknowledging Him in all your ways? Well, it's that wonderful promise there at the end. He will direct your paths. Isn't that a wonderful truth? He will lead you. He will guide you. God wants to direct your path. He's an expert guide. He's a wonderful shepherd. And he wants to lead you. Imagine this. Imagine you want to become a soccer player. If you sport guys, fox soccer player. And imagine that Cristiano Ronaldo is offering to train you. That's pretty cool, you know? He really wants to train you to be a soccer player. Well, wouldn't that be pretty cool? Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Okay. Let's, let's imagine you want to be an, you know, you're not into sports. You want to be an entrepreneur, a businessman. You want to, you want to push the boundaries of science. And, well, imagine if Elon Musk, who knows Elon Musk? Right, so a few of you. Imagine he offers to coach you. That'd be pretty cool, right? You know, the, the main guy at Tesla and SpaceX. And, or imagine you want to become a famous musician or, or vocalist, you know. And I'm not going to name any names here. I'm going to get in trouble. 
But imagine the most famous and accomplished person you can imagine wants to come and train you. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't look at that person and go, "Man, why are you want, why are you trying to control my life? You know? Why are you trying to tell me what to do? You know, come on, Cristiano, stop pushing me around. You know, I know better now. You'd be like, "Yeah, teach me, like show me." Well, God is the expert in all matters having to do with life. Do you believe that? He knows how to navigate life. And he's offering to lead you, to guide you. That's a wonderful thing. So it's an amazing opportunity we have. Well, what are these three prerequisites? If God is going to guide us, and if we are going to make godly decisions... There needs to be certain truths that need to be settled in our hearts. Three fundamental, basic, foundational truths. What are these? Well, number one, here it is. We must enthrone Jesus Christ as the master of our life. Like We have to let him lead us. We have to enthrone him as the master of our life. I want to go back to the beginning, the very, very beginning. You know these stories, but we need to hear them again and again. God created us male and female in his own image to glorify him. Is that right? He created us male and female in his own image to glorify him. That is to represent him on the earth. And he granted Adam and Eve lots of privileges and responsibilities and blessings. But the one thing he did not give Adam and Eve is absolute Autonomy. You like big words? Autonomy is a cool word. That is, he did not give them the capacity to live independently of himself. Does that make sense? Autonomy. He made them to live dependently on him. So he gave Adam and Eve a command to remind them that he was God. And that he, they needed to depend on him. They needed to trust him. They needed to follow him. It was a very simple command. Not to eat of a certain tree. You know the story. But you know how it goes. Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan to make a fateful choice. To make an ungodly choice. And what was that choice? They chose to dethrone God and enthrone themselves. That's one way you could put it. They decided that they knew better than God. Right? And they chose to counter God's way. And because of the sin of Adam and Eve, the reality is every one of us is born into this world with self-ruling on the throne of our hearts. So if, if you want a picture, that's a good way to picture it. You're born this way. You know, as you're cooing at your mama and daddy, the day you're born, self is reigning. <laughs> and it doesn't take long for that self to pop out. You know, as a little child, as, as a toddler, not even a toddler, one-year-old, often you start to see it, you know, grabbing, pushing, shoving, wanting, your way, you know. And as you grow a little older... You fuss, you learn to manipulate, you know, your parents and people around you to get what you want. As you become a teenager, you learn how to do that in more sophisticated, more adult-like ways, right? 
Use deception. Use, you know, scratch people's backs so they scratch you back. And you learn how to use people in order to get what you want. But the fundamental problem is the same. Self is ruling in your heart, in my heart. We're calling the shots. We are, here's the big line of today, we are determining our destiny. Yeah. Yeah, me. I determine my destiny. We are in control. We have the last word. Life is about me and my desires and my ambition and my future and my comfort and my feelings. It's about me, me, me. Uh, Isn't that how it is? It's how we're born. Why? Because we're born in sin. And this is what's wrong with the world. You look around at the world and you see a bunch of people who have self on the throne. And that doesn't work too well. Because when everyone's, you know, trying to go their own way, inevitably it's going to cause problems, right? So you see selfishness, you see pride, you see anger, you see murder, you see war, you see chaos, you see death. And that's the result of sin. And the one thing we don't want to do is we don't want to give up the throne. (laughs) That's the one thing we don't want to do, right? Because to give up the throne is to give up control over our life. And we're not so sure we want to give up the control over our life, right? Because if we let God call the shots, He might ask us to do something we don't want to do. And we're afraid. Why are we afraid? Because we don't trust God. See, At the very root of it all, we don't Trust God. We don't trust that His way is best. Self on the throne is a rejection of God as God. It's a very serious issue. I'm spending time here because if this isn't right, if this foundation isn't right, nothing will be right. So we really have to spend a little bit of time here. Self on the throne is a rejection of God as God. And the rejection of God, it makes you an enemy of God. So it's very serious, right? And because of our rebellion, we deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's judgment. We deserve to be punished because we've rebelled against God. But there is hope. There is hope. Why is there hope? Because God, in His mercy, in His love, in His grace, sent His Son Jesus to this world to make a way for us to be forgiven and be brought back to himself. That's the good news. You know the good news. You've heard the good news, right? Jesus went to a cross to bear the punishment for our sin. And on the third day, he died, he was buried, and on the third day, God, as if to tell all the world, my son, he's the real deal. He's my son. And what he did at the cross, I accepted. He raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, he tells his disciples, he has his disciples, says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to go into all the world and tell everybody that if you'll turn from your sin and you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll believe in me, you can be saved. I want you to tell everybody that, that message. 
This is great news. You can be saved from judgment. You can be saved from wrath. But we have to be really crystal clear right here. This is where it's absolutely important to be clear. I want things to be black and white this morning. No gray. Black and white. We can't receive God's offer of forgiveness and hold on to the throne of our life. Does that make sense? We can't accept his offer and self still rule. We can't reject God as God and be in a relationship with him at the same time, right? We can't have both and. It's not possible. We can pretend to have both. That's very possible. But you can't actually have both. So don't be deceived. If you are still running your life, if you're calling the shots in your life, if you are determining your future, you don't belong to God. I want to be just crystal clear. You don't belong to God. If there's never come a day in your life where you fell down on your knees before God and said, I give up. I'm done. I am done calling the shots. I am done going my own way. You take me. You lead me. You. I'm giving you the control. If you've never come to that point, you are not saved. I was 16 years old when I came to that point. God had been pursuing me for three or four years. Well, he'd been pursuing me my whole life, but I'd been feeling it pretty strongly the last three or four years. I did not want to go God's way. I wanted to go my way. I thought my way was better. I thought it was going to be a lot more fun, you know, a lot more enjoyable. But God kept pursuing me in his love because he knew that my life, my way ended in death. And he knew that his way ends in life. And he pursued me. Pursued me to the point where I just finally had to come down and say, I give up. I'm done running. I'm too tired to run anymore. But you have to come to that point. See, it doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how morally upright you are. It doesn't matter how much everyone around you is convinced that you're a good Christian. If you are still on the throne, nothing has changed at the core of your being. That's a reality. There was a young man. He's a really rich young man. And he came to Jesus one day. And he comes to Jesus and he asks him this question. He says, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life. Like he wants to know how to be saved. He wants to know, how do I go to heaven? But in his mind, going to heaven means doing good things. You hear that? What good thing must I do to get to heaven? And Jesus, I think Jesus was going to, he decides to play the game a little bit. You know, the way he answers him. He says, well, Jesus, you know, maybe Jesus gets kind of pensive and he goes, well, you know, there's a couple good laws you could keep, like, you know, Honor your father and mother. That's a good one. And, you know, don't murder and don't steal. And, yeah, you know, keep those rules. And the young man goes, well, you know, I've kept all those. But there may be something about the way Jesus was talking to him. There was something that made this young man feel like something's missing. He's not telling me everything, you know. And so he says to Jesus, he says, 
yes, I've, I've done all that, but what do I still lack? Like, something's missing. And then Jesus gets really serious, stops playing games, and he says, okay, you want to know how to be saved? He says to him, go home, sell everything that you have, and he was wealthy, remember, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. See, what is Jesus doing to this young man? He is telling this young man, you have to enthrone me on the throne of your heart if you're gonna if you're even gonna begin to head towards eternal life. See, because he knew this young man loved his stuff. He loved his stuff. He says, You're gonna have to give that up, give that idol up, you're gonna have to enthrone me. And what did the young man do? He walked away grieving. That's what the Bible says. He walked away grieving. How sad. He turned his back on eternal life. He walked away from eternal life because he loved his stuff more than he loved God. That's serious. See, we're often willing to follow Jesus as long as Jesus doesn't interfere with our plans. Not true? I'm all about following Jesus as long as you don't tell me what to do. As long as you don't interfere with my idols. Yeah, but the first thing Jesus is going to do if you're going to follow him is he's going to interfere with your plans. <laughs> he's going to interfere with your idols. Because Jesus has to be Lord of everything. He, Jesus is not interested in having just a part of your life. He's not interested in being another app on the phone of your life. You know, some some cool thing you turn to every once in a while. Oh, the Jesus thing, you know. This is my Jesus corner. He is everything or he is nothing. He is everything or he's nothing. Jesus made it clear. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So it's not the person who says that Jesus is Lord. It's the person who lives like Jesus is Lord. I'm hammering this because if this isn't right, nothing will be right. If this hasn't happened in your life, it will be impossible for you to make a single godly choice. It won't, it won't be possible. So what do you have to do? Well, Jesus said, if you want to follow after me, you have to turn your back on yourself. You have to turn your back on yourself and you have to accept the sentence of death on your life and then you follow me. It's pretty strong. Jesus is very strong. You know, you you just read the Gospels and you note the people. When, when people come to Jesus and say, oh, I want to follow you, just know how Jesus talks to them. He doesn't go, oh, goody. I so wanted people to follow me. I'm so happy. You know, we give them a big bear hug. Welcome to the welcome to the group. No, Jesus goes, he does things like this. He, he says, well, you know, I don't have a place to sleep tonight. You still want to follow me? You know, I don't have a pillow. Or, you know, he discourages people from following him. Have you noticed that? He says, well, if you want to follow me, you need to count the cost. You know, a king, when he goes to war, he needs to count the cost. Whether with his 10,000, he can he can beat someone, you know, the, the next army with 100,000. Like, count the cost. Like, think it through. He's not, he's not in for a quick decision here. We have to count the cost. So what do we have to do? We have to be able to come to a place where we say to Jesus Christ, 
your will be done, not my will. Where we can come to him and we say, Lord, we can really say, Lord, anything, anywhere, anytime. Those three innies, can, can you say that? Those are big. Like if you really get on your knees, I, I dare you to do this. Get on your knees, get before God, and do this honestly. God, I will do anything that you ask me to do. I will go anywhere you call me to go. And I will do it anytime you want me to do it. That's that's giving up control, right? That feels a little bit uh, not sure about that. Not sure about that. Maybe you're thinking right now, well, I thought this was about making godly decisions. Yes, but the capacity to make godly decisions begins with making the most important decision of your life. This is the most important decision you will ever make. Who is going to call the shots? Jesus didn't come to play games. He didn't come to help us fix ourselves. He didn't come to enable us to live for ourselves and have a happy successful life he came to dethrone self because he knows that self will kill us he's very merciful but he's not the doctor who comes and sees the cancer and says let me put a band-aid on that cancer he sees the cancer and he says i'm gonna have to take my knife out and cut it out you have to cut it out so what's our verse yeah Self has to be dethroned. Christ has to be enthroned. What's our verse? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. See, you can't trust Jesus. You can't trust in the Lord if He's not the Lord of your life, right? He has to become Lord. And when we enthrone Jesus as the master of our life, We stop trusting ourselves and we begin to trust in him. And once we do that, he can begin to lead us. Once we begin to trust in the Lord, he can begin to lead us. And if you'll do it, you'll begin to discover what a wonderful master and guide he really is. I've been strong, but you have to be strong in this area. But when you choose Jesus Christ, you'll discover what a wonderful guide he is. He wants to lead you into Abundant life. So, have you done it? You have to ask yourself that question. Is Jesus Christ the master of your life? Are you conscious this morning that you belong to God? That you don't belong to yourself? That you've been bought at a price And you belong to him. That's first base. All right. Number one. Number two. What's the second thing that we need to face? Second big foundational truth. We must understand and embrace God's objective for us. If we're going to make godly decisions, first of all, he has to be enthroned in our life. We have to trust him. And he has to be able to lead us. But secondly, we also have to understand and embrace his objective. Like God is after something. 
He wants to lead us somewhere. What is God after? What is his objective? If we don't understand his objective, we won't be able to make godly decisions. We won't be able to make decisions that are really in line with what he is after, what he is doing. Decisions are usually made in light of an objective. Would you be willing to accept that? Decisions are usually made in light of an objective. For instance, if you drive to Interstate 85, you'll have a choice. You can either take Interstate 85 north or you can take Interstate 85 south. Right? Now, if your objective is to get to Atlanta and you take I-85 north, you will never get there. Does that make sense? If you want to get to Atlanta, you're going to have to take I-85 south. Well, it's the same thing. God is after particular objective. But we have to take certain roads to get there. Does that make sense? Certain paths. What are some of the objectives that determine decisions that people make out there? Well, there's a lot of people whose objective is to make as much money as possible so they can buy whatever they want and, and have whatever they want, right? Now, if your objective is money, then you have to take certain paths to get there. Does that make sense? Right? You're going to go for the higher paying jobs. Let's say your objective is um, to be a successful and, re- and be respected by others. Well, you're going to take certain paths to get there. Maybe your objective is not to be rich. You don't care how rich you are. You just want to have fun. Like, I just want to have as much fun as possible. Well, you're going to take certain paths to get there. Right? What is God's objective? God's objective, his priority is not your job. It's not your relationships. It's not your education. It's not your financial well-being. It's not how much fun you're having. It's not even your wealth. How much your wealth? I mean your health. It's not even how healthy you are. It's not God's primary objective. It's not that God doesn't care about these things, but it's not what God is after. What is God after? Let's look at a verse, Ephesians 1, 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So according to the verse, why has God chosen us? What's what's the answer? That we should be what? Holy and blameless. Like, why did God save us? Why did God choose us to be holy? Holy. God is a holy God. And he wants you to be holy the way he is holy. Well, what does it mean to be holy? So God's... You could say God's objective for us is that we should be holy. What does that mean? Well, maybe you've heard that the word holy means to be set apart. It means to be different. And you go, well, that's not all that helpful. Different in what way? You know? Well, let's look at a second verse and see how that might help us with the first verse in understanding holiness. Here's our second verse, Romans 8:29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. To foreknow and to predestine simply means to know and choose ahead of time. So again, it's this idea of why did God choose us? What's the answer this time? That we might be conformed to what? 
the image of his son, right? That we might be like Jesus. So what is holiness? We could put the two together and we could say holiness looks like Jesus. That's more helpful, isn't it? Because you can look at Jesus' life and you say, okay, what was Jesus like? What does holiness look like? What means looking like Jesus in our character, in our attitudes, in our actions? Jesus loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Holiness is loving God with all of your soul, mind, strength, right? Holiness is trusting God as Father. Jesus trusted God as Father. Holiness is studying God's Word. Jesus was familiar with the Word of God. He studied the Word of God. He used the Word of God at appropriate times. Holiness is spending regular time in worship and fellowship and prayer with His with God. Jesus often went to spend time alone with God, right? That's holiness. Holiness looks like that. It's very practical, Holiness is seeking first God's kingdom. Jesus sought first the kingdom of God. Holiness is living, is loving people as yourself, right? Jesus loved others. Holiness is being patient with people. Jesus was quite patient, especially with his disciples, right? Holiness is respecting and submitting to your parents. Jesus respected, submitted to his parents. Holiness is seeking to serve others. Jesus said, I I did not come to be served, but to serve. I came to serve others. Holiness is serving. Holiness is telling others the truth, even when it's unpopular. Jesus spoke the truth in love. Holiness is living a pure life, saying no to sin. Holiness is being thankful. You could keep going with the list, right? Look at Jesus. That's holiness. That's what God's after. That's the objective God has for your life on this earth. See, we have the tendency of being taken up with externals, right? We're we're concerned about where we should live and what I should study and who should I marry and where should I work and where should I live and what should I do. But God is a lot more concerned with what's inside, with our hearts. What kind of a person are we going to be? Yeah, God is concerned for our spiritual well-being. And God's objective is to shape us at the very core of our being. That's what God wants to do. He wants to shape you. He wants to shape me into a certain kind of person, a person who is holy and blameless before him. Now, what does that mean? That means that a godly, making godly decisions won't always lead to success. Does that make sense? Making godly decisions won't always lead to comfort. Because sometimes we get this idea, if I choose God, then God owes me. Have you ever thought that way? You know, if I make godly choices, then God owes me. He needs to bless me. He needs to make my life comfortable. Well, we saw last night. What do we see? saw last night? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made a godly choice. And what did it do for them? It earned them a death sentence. See? Making godly choices won't always lead to a life of ease and comfort. But you do get to know God, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got to know God. 
They grew in holiness. They became more like God. So if we're going to make godly decisions, we have to understand and accept God's objective for our life. We need to be willing to choose holiness over career, holiness over relationships, holiness over financial security, holiness over every other pursuit. And if you do this, again, you'll discover, you'll discover something. You'll discover that aiming at God's objectives is way more fulfilling than aiming at your own objectives. God wants to fill you with himself. You can have everything in this world and be empty on the inside. Do you realize that? Very, very empty. There's a lot of people who have a lot of things, but they're empty inside. So what's our verse? Trust in the Lord. Let's say it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. See, one of the ways we acknowledge him is we acknowledge his purpose for our life, his objective. One day we're going to stand before God. Do you believe that? Every one of us in this room will stand before God. We're going to look at God. And it's not going to matter how many PhDs you had on that day. It's not going to matter whether you were a lawyer or a dishwasher in life. Whether you have amazing education, went to Harvard, or never made it through high school. It's not going to matter on that day. It's not going to matter whether you were successful or a nobody and a failure. It's not going to matter. You know what's going to matter? Whether or not you lived a holy life. That's what's going to matter. Whether or not you loved God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Whether or not you loved your neighbor as yourself. Whether or not you gave evidence by the way you lived that Jesus Christ was on the throne of your heart. That's what's going to matter on that day. So the question, the question we need to ask ourselves is, is God's goal our goal? It's a big one. You won't make godly decisions if his objective is not your objective. All right, finally. We come to our third point. And the first point was the biggest. The second was medium. This is going to be a shorter point because we're going to hit on this again tomorrow. But this third point is this, this third foundation. We must believe that the Bible, when opened up to us by God's Spirit, is sufficient to teach us everything we need to know in order to please God. This is a big one. It's a mouthful, but it's important. We must believe the Bible when opened up to us by God's Spirit, is sufficient, it's enough, it's adequate to teach us everything we need to know in order to please God. When we stop going our own way and we enthrone Jesus Christ in our life and we receive forgiveness of sins, we also receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And one of His main tasks is to lead us, to guide us. 
We're told in Romans, Paul tells us, all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Like if you are a child of God, you are being led by the Spirit of God. Well, how is God's Spirit going to lead us? Well, he's going to help us to understand God's word. David said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God has not left us in the dark. He's not left us with no information. He's given us his word, the Bible, a reliable word. You might say, well, how do you know the Bible is from God? Well, if you're here last year, who was here last year? A few of you. If you're here last year, that's what I spent all two sessions on. It was on the reliability of the Bible, how we can know that the Bible is from God. So if you're struggling with that, if you're struggling with how to know if the Bible is from God and can I trust it, I encourage you to go back to those sessions. They're on our website and you could listen to them on the reliability of the Bible. But if you're going to make godly decisions, not only must you believe that the Bible is reliable, but you also have to believe that the Bible is sufficient. It's enough. It's all that you need in order to please God perfectly. That's a big thing to say. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, let's read 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God. What is he saying there? He's saying all scripture is from God. That's really what I spent last year talking about. But look how he continues. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And here's the purpose clause. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate. What does adequate mean? Enough, right? Sufficient. Equipped for some, a few good works. Heresy button, right? For every good work, right? The scripture is from God and it can make you adequate, equipped for every good work. So are there any good works that you will have to go outside of scripture to discover? No. You hear that? No. Wayne Grudem wrote, a big systematic theology. If you come to school here, you'll get acquainted with Wayne Grudem. And he writes this, the sufficiency of scripture means that the Bible contains all the words of God that we need for salvation. Do you believe that you have everything you need to be to be saved in the Bible? And for trusting him perfectly and for obeying him perfectly. Now, what are we not saying? We're not, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say the Bible is an end in itself. Okay, I'm not trying to say the Bible replaces God and just walk with your Bible. You know, here's the Bible. Just follow that and you'll be good. No, the Bible is a means to the end of knowing God, of trusting in God with all of your heart and not leaning to your own understanding. Right? And it is a sufficient means to that end. It's an adequate means to that end. That's what I'm trying to say. So how is God's Spirit going to lead me? He's going to lead me primarily through the Bible, the Word of God. You might be saying, well, what about supernatural guidance, you know? What about dreams and visions? 
what about prophecy? What about, you know, the writing on walls or the clouds reorienting or, you know, so I can see the will of God or the still small voice? Or what about all these other ways that God obviously has led people in the Bible that way, right? I mean, maybe not the clouds, but right? <laughs> what about those? Can't God still guide me by these means, these supernatural means? Let me say this. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, He can guide you that way if he wants. God can do whatever he wants. He can lead you in whatever way he wants. He can take a donkey and get him to start talking to you to get you to go the right way. <laughs> you know? So, so we don't want to put any limitations on God. But God does not promise to guide us in those ways. Does that make sense? God does promise to guide us through his word. Okay, I want to be very careful here. God is not obligated to give you a dream. God is not obligated to provide you with some writing on the wall in order to guide you. God has given you his word and it is enough. So here's what you have to remember. Here's what's important to get. Even if God doesn't use a supernatural means, like we love that, like that's what we want. God, just write it on the wall. I got it, you know. But even if God doesn't provide a supernatural means, we still have everything we need to please God perfectly. Do you believe that? Even if God doesn't do anything supernatural, you have everything you need. You have the Word of God. You have the Spirit of God. Right? To walk with God. All right. So how are we going to make godly decisions? Three truths have to be settled in our hearts. Right? And if you're not sure about any of these three truths... If you're questioning any of these three truths, you're going to struggle to make godly decisions. This is foundational. What are these three truths? Well, number one, it's Jesus enthroned in your life. Jesus is Lord and King. Jesus is Lord and King whether we acknowledge it or not. Let's just be really clear about that. God has given Jesus Christ all authority in heaven and on earth. He is King. The question is, will you benefit from his reign? Will you benefit from his guidance? Like, you know, in a sense, I, I don't want to compare Cristiano Ronaldo to Jesus Christ. That's terrible. But he's right there. He wants to guide you. And you're saying, no way. He, he, he is the expert in life. Will you benefit from his reign? If Jesus doesn't have the last say in your life or in my life, we won't be able to make godly decisions. That's just... Absolutely, black and white. You won't be able to do it. Secondly, do we understand and embrace God's objective for us? Is God's goal our goal? Is your goal in life to become like Jesus? Like, Is that your primary goal in life? To become like Jesus to the glory of God? Now, I know that our chief aim should be the glory of God, but we, we throw that around, the glory of God. We don't always have substance to it. It means living to become like Jesus Christ. That's what it means. 
That's what glorifies God. Well, if that's not your goal, you won't be able to make godly decisions. won't be possible. And third, we believe that the Bible, that with the Bible and God's Spirit within us, that we have everything we need to please God perfectly. Do we believe that? If we don't believe that, we're going to be tempted to listen to other voices, right? Outside of the Bible, to go other places. And we won't be able to make godly decisions. So how are we going to submit to him? How are we going to accept his his objective? How are we going to lean on his word? Well, we're going to have to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. So let's say it one more time all together as we end. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have made a way that we can be delivered from our sin, that we can be delivered from our self-orientation. And we can have you, the King of the universe, the Lord of, of creation. We can have you guiding our life, directing our paths. Lord, I pray that you would cause these three truths that we looked at this morning to become settled in the hearts of every one of these young people here this morning. Convince them of it by your Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.